Today's reading is from John 1, verses 35 to 42. The next day, John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you'll see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. This is the word of the Lord. God, we thank you for another day. Thank you for another opportunity to gather here with, with our church family and to, to remember your promises and to celebrate your goodness and to, um, to support one another to be here together. We pray that as we hear from your word, um, that you would uh, open our ears and our eyes, that you would open our hearts, that we would receive what you have to say to us and what you would have us do. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, good morning, church. Oh, it's uh, great to see you. Um, thank you for joining us this morning, for coming out, and particularly for those of you for whom this is one of your first times. Really um, honored that you're here, that you've uh, said yes to joining us this morning. Know that it can be um, it can be a bit intimidating walking into a new a new place and a new room and folks that you may uh, not know as many of. And so I just I, I I see you and honor your courage and and am glad that you're here and hope that you feel welcome. A couple of things before I jump into uh, to John 1. This afternoon, we, uh, as Justin mentioned, we're going to join with other area churches at the historic First Rock Baptist Church in Southeast D.C. Uh, to celebrate and reflect on the life and legacy and ministry of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I, I genuinely hope that you'll join us there. Uh, the service is going to start at 3 p.m. There's going to be more that's, that's said and sung and prayed there uh, as we as a nation celebrate Dr. King and recommit ourselves and our lives to the work of racial justice in this country, but there's a few things that I want to say now, and, and, and then I want to invite us to pray before we jump into John 1. Um, tomorrow, our nation will um, pause and reflect on the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., and it's my prayer that as the nation remembers Dr. King, that we as Christ City Church will also reflect on the life and words of Martin, our brother in Christ, and the faith that propelled him into the struggle for justice and righteousness and reconciliation. Um, I am also aware that, that later this week on Wednesday is designated a Sanctity of Life Day, a day that's going to stir deep emotions, if not a few heated conversations. And what can't be lost on us as followers of Jesus is the image of Godness that is bound up in each person, that's bound up in each mother and each child and each individual. Our celebration of Dr. King's life and legacy and our prayers on Wednesday, they are for us also tied to our worship this afternoon and our remembering, our recognition that all people, regardless of age or race or religion or nation of origin or citizenship or citizenship status, sexual orientation, ability or disability, all people are made in God's image and all of us share that common humanity and a common creator. And it is that theological truth that prompts us this week especially to care and to compassion and to prayer. 
And it is my prayer that as we reflect and remember the legacy of Dr. King, that we will, as followers of the one who came to reconcile all things to himself and to renew all things, to consider again our Christ calling to live as ambassadors of justice, even as we proclaim a gospel that has the power to reconcile people to God and people to one another. Jesus taught us that of, of all the scripture, that the greatest commands are to love God and likewise love our neighbor. It's this dual, these dual loves that propel the young Baptist preacher into the struggle for civil rights. He saw that injustice imposed on black children, injustices that continue to be imposed on black and brown children, that it wasn't just harming black children who were growing up believing themselves inferior, but the oppression was also damaging white children who were growing up believing themselves superior in this culture and context of white supremacy. King would articulate this by saying injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We're caught in a, <clears throat> we are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny, whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Months before his death, he would actually reiterate this idea, but in a more personal manner, when he said, I said to my children, I'm going to work and do everything I can to see that you get a good education. And I don't ever want you to forget that there are millions of God's children who will not and cannot get a good education, and I don't want you to feel that you are better than they are. For you will never be what you ought to be until they are what they ought to be. It is precisely this sentiment, it's this, this understanding that our shared humanity as image bearers of God Almighty, it's that, that theology, that, that understanding that informs our work as we labor alongside teachers and families of minor elementary school right here and at the Rosedale Recreation Center and the Playtime Project. It's precisely this understanding that moves us to see the families of DC-127 be cared for and supported. It's why we have advocated for immigration reform, care for refugees and for affordable housing for those that are living in poverty. It's because we understand that loving our neighbor can often be one of the most radical things that we do. And we see that our lives our futures and our faith is in so many ways subtle and painfully obvious, inescapably tied to the lives and futures and faith of our neighbors in Trinidad, in Kingman Park, in Rosedale, on Capitol Hill, in Deanwood and Fairlawn, and farther places away like Bethlehem and Jerusalem and Medellin, Colombia and Lima, Peru. The gospel of Jesus and the love of God compels us. When I lived in Memphis, um, I joined a service at the Lorraine Motel in downtown Memphis. It was a, a memorial service marking uh, what at that point was the 40th anniversary of Dr. King's assassination. It was, it was moving, it was inspiring, it was prophetic. And afterwards, I, I wrote these words that still ring true for me and for us, Christ City. I wrote this. I long for our church to be a community of faith that King would be proud of. A community that loves God, that loves God's world, that follows Jesus courageously and radically. A community that recognizes the personal and the corporate and systemic ways that sin can destroy, but righteousness can heal. A community that sees, as King saw, the links between racism and materialism and violence. A community that groans for and acts on behalf of the kingdom of God. A community that more beautifully reflects the beloved community that is found in and through Christ. 
That was my prayer then, over a decade ago, and it remains my prayer and my longing for us. We still have work to do, church, but let us not become weary in well-doing. So as we reflect on this day and on this week, let us call out to the one in whom we hope. Let me pray. Jesus, I, I come to you. I stand with other uh, churches, um, even this morning, that are, that are offering up prayers, prayers and lamentations for where we have been as a country and as a people and where we are. But God, I pray that you, by your power and by your spirit, would sustain us. That even on these moments of reflection, that we would return again to the reminder that all people are created in your image and any systems or structures that mar that image of Godness, that by your spirit would you work to renew them, to dismantle them, and in their place see your rule and reign, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Spirit, move in us individually and collectively. For those that are weary, Father, I pray that you would renew them that you would strengthen them and that they would hear you saying to them, well done, you're not alone, keep moving. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen, thank you. And if you are free to come this afternoon at three o'clock, we'd love to see you there. It's gonna be a really remarkable and special time for us as we gather with other churches. So, um, Last week we began a new series and a new season in the life of uh, Christ City Church, a series that we call uh, Learning to Live. And it follows a curriculum that was developed by a certain pastor at Christ City, otherwise known as Pastor Justin Fung, who gave the announcement. But he was, you know, he's, he's a humble man, so he didn't want to say, I wrote this thing. You should go and buy one and buy one for a bunch of your friends. So I'll carry the water for him. You should get one. You should follow it. The purpose of the series and, and the work that you're invited into um, in small groups is, is the aim of it is to provide you with an environment and a tool, not just a tool with no context, but an environment and a tool that we believe that God will use to shape your faith. And as we go through this as a church, with all of, uh, with all of the small groups making their way through the curriculum or having recently gone through it, what this series affords us is, is a chance to, to walk together towards a couple of goals. Um, Justin outlined these, but just to re reiterate them. One is that we have a, a common goal, and that common goal is that we would be formed into the likeness of Jesus, that we have this shared common aim. The other is that we have a, a common language, um, that we have a, a shared vocabulary about faith and then also a shared uh, vocabulary or, or shared definitions. There's words that we use so often of, of gospel and kingdom and disciple, and we may have, you know, a hundred different definitions of those. And so what learning to live affords us is an opportunity to have a shared vocabulary, a shared understanding about what it means to follow Jesus. It also gives us shared experiences. Um, with your small group and the, rest of a church, and the rest of the church, we will have experiences of, of storytelling, of, of, of sharing our stories of faith wherever we are on the faith journey. We'll have shared prayer experiences, days where we will um, pray together, um, both individually and communally. Um, and then also a shared experiences of service. What is it? What, we will have a, a, an all-church service, a community service day. Because discipleship, it's not just sort of taught in a room, but it's actually caught in the streets. It's not just learned, but it's also experienced. And so this, this learning to live affords us this chance to have a common goal and common language and common experiences. 
And so I want you to get a workbook. I want you to find your way into small groups. I want you to uh, follow the, the daily devotions. And as Justin said last week, he said, you know, this, don't view this as homework. View it as soul work. When he said it last week, you chuckled. <laughs> we mean it. That let, this, let this rhythm, this cadence of being in the word, of being um, with others that are likewise trying to order and reorder their lives around Jesus and be shaped by the life and teachings and death and resurrection of Jesus, find yourself in those places. And again, above all, our hope and prayer is that the Spirit of God will use this tool, will use these messages in this season to shape or reshape parts of your soul and of your life. All of, us are, all of us are shaped by, by something or, or, or someone. We're not just, we weren't just born in a vacuum, that there's things that have shaped us. There's history that's, that's shaped us. Um, there's history that's misshaped some of us. Our families. Um, some, if, my family has shaped me. So much so, when I call my mom, when I call Dion this afternoon, like my voice will change. Like I will, how I'm speaking to you now, there's another, there's a talk to mom accent that just comes out. When I talk to Dion and you're like, oh, that's right, he is from Texas. And we, it just drips out of it. So I'm shaped, I'm shaped by my family. There's other, there's other relationships that have, that, that have shaped us. I don't know if you're like this. I have like an internal advisory board that I sort of carry around with me. And whenever I sort of run into a, a, a some task or some conflict or some decision that I have to make. I sort of do this, this mental calculus, and I, have, and I have these characters that are around the table. One of them is a friend of mine, Randy, that I knew in, in Fresno. Another is Shane, lives up in Philly. Another was a boss that I had in Fresno, Gwen Morris. So I just sort of think, like, I know I should probably think, like, what would Jesus do? But I actually think, what would Gwen do in this moment? What would Shane say to me? What would Randy, how would he shape me? I sort of, because I'm shaped by these, by these relationships. Some of you are shaped by like music. Like if I were to say, what's the, like what's the soundtrack, right? Like I think about this. I think about like what would be my walking down A Street music. Like if I had sort of, you know, you know, like I don't know. I'm not going to tell you what it is. But you're like, what would? It's probably like LL Cool J's Mama Said Knock You Out as I'm just sort of making my way from 13th to 12th Street on A Street. Like what's the soundtrack? That's, um, and then why did that song become the song? Like, you know, like I was, that song is my song because I was, you know, apartment 1033 on Delito Road in East Dallas when it came out. And I remember me and my guys, Kevin Avery and Reginald Marshall, like LL Cool J. And it was like it meant like I, I, could, I, I could go back there. I could almost smell my apartment then. What, what, what ways does music shape you? Media. Um, last spring, I was talking with some of you about this a while back. Last spring and summer, I was consuming massive amounts of Malcolm Gladwell. Like I was reading his books, I was listening to like, I was binge listening and then re-listening to Revisionist History. It was, and I realized he was starting to shape the way that I was preaching and like the words that I was using. I'm like, that's not me, that's Malcolm, like in the pulp. Like it was just, because I was consuming sort of books that you read or things that you listen to. Over the past uh, six weeks or so, I've been listening to massive amounts of sports radio. And that's been sort of shaping me in certain ways that I'm not too proud of, honestly. You know, like there's, there's things that sort of all shape us. There's a theological term for for this and it's actually called worship. Justin touched on this a bit last week and that, that you are what you worship. What, what you order your life around, what you aspire to be or to become. I've been watching a show recently on Netflix um, uh, called The Messiah. 
I thought, oh, I'm free. I should probably watch it. Anybody else kind of watch that? Yeah, good. I haven't watched the end. Don't, don't mess it up for me. So um, a guy comes on the scene. They call him uh, Al-Masih, uh, which is uh, Arabic for, for the Messiah, uh, because he performs some miracles. And uh, people are anticipating. They think, oh, I think this is the second coming. And he's really disrupting sort of religious structures of the day. The CIA uh, is like, uh, no, 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 he's probably like a terrorist or he's like a cult leader and he's going to, something tragic is going to happen. So there's like this cat and mouse. And is he really, or is he just like a con artist? We're not sure. And so you're sort of making your way through it. I want to show you a scene because um, in this scene, uh, Al-Masih has been arrested. After performing a miracle in Jerusalem, he uh, miraculously ends up in Texas because where else would the Messiah go uh, but to some random small town with 300 people in the middle of West Texas. So he's there, um, you know, and unironically, he is incarcerated because he's been identified as an undocumented immigrant at this point. And so now al is arrested in Texas and he's having this conversation with a CIA agent who is convinced that he's a con artist. Uh, al rightly points out the ways that Agent Geller is, is being shaped but by her worship of her job and her pursuit of perfection. And, and we're all being shaped. We're all being formed in some way. And for followers of Jesus, we have to ask not just whether or not we are or aren't being formed, but into what are we being formed? And more importantly, are we being formed into the image of Jesus? What's in front of us and learning to live is an invitation to be shaped, to to be spiritually formed by Jesus. This past week, Andrea and I were talking about this invitational life that, uh, or this invitational nature that Jesus has. Jesus, not, he's not coercive. He's not demanding or tyrannical in the ways that he invites us to be shaped by him. But rather, at each moment, he simply invites us to take one more step of faith, one more step of faith. And with each step, there are different parts of our lives that begin to be remade or reformed or even integrated into other areas. And at each step, our faith becomes more integrated in more and more aspects of our life. And what gets dismantled is the compartmentalization of our faith. So that our faith begins to have influence and sway over our decisions, over our money, over our relationships, our life, our living, what I eat, where I eat, where I live. At each turn, at each step, there's Jesus extending yet another invitation to us, inviting us to to, to learn how to fully live. But each one begins with an invitation and a first step. In the passage that we read, that we read earlier, what we see is the first invitation that Jesus extends to disciples and the first step that the disciples are invited to take is they learn to live in light of Jesus' love. In the Gospel of John chapter 1, the scene opens with John the Baptist, the prophet who was preaching and anticipating the arrival of the Messiah, the, the rescuer into the world. And John is preaching and he's calling people to return to their first love of God and to join him in anticipating the arrival of the one who would save John had attracted a group of followers, those who heard John's message and wanted to follow him and anticipating the Messiah. And in the midst of that, in the midst of John's preaching and uh, his discipling of others in the ways of God, as he understood them, up walks Jesus. And then verse 35, the next day, John, he was there again with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. That's an interesting thing. Like somebody's walking by, like I see friends. I'm like, hey, what's up? John doesn't say that. He says, look. This is the one we've been looking for. When the two disciples heard him say this, they began following Jesus. They're like, oh, really, John? All right, deuces. And he's like, oh, well, I didn't think you would do that, but perfect. 
Turning around, Jesus saw them following, and he asked, what do you want? Justin touched on this a bit last week in the opening question, highlighting Jesus' question of, uh, 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 what do you want? What I want us to notice today is that Jesus is actually, he's engaging them in a conversation. He sees them, he, he notices them, he, he, he speaks, he, uh, uh, that acknowledgement is, is a humanity-affirming action. It is an invitational act that says, I, I'm, I'm taking a step towards you through this conversation. You're, you're welcome to take a step towards me. And so they, they, they take more steps together. A friend of mine, Shiri Yadlin, she uh, leads a ministry that is addressing affordable housing, and, and she has a long history of working with people that are experiencing homelessness. And we were talking with, she was sharing with a group of folks about um, how to care for people who are experiencing homelessness and, and how so often when um, folks are asking for help on the streets that, that, that just this, this dehumanizing thing that happens where folks just ignore, they just walk by. And it wasn't about whether you do or, or, or don't uh, give, but it was every single time what you can give is that you can see and that you can speak, that you can acknowledge the existence, you can acknowledge the humanity, the image of Godness every single time. You can take one more faithful step. You can uh, do this that Jesus did. You can stop. You can pause. You can lock eyes. You can um, offer a word. This, um, this invitation that Jesus extends in stopping and in seeing and inviting and speaking the conversation began uh, by Jesus with these two followers of John's. It, it leads to then a new relationship, not just the conversation. The invitation deepens and with an opportunity not only to talk, but to begin spending time with each other. Verse 38, turning around, Jesus saw them following and he said, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Verse 39, come, he replied, and you will see. And so they went and they saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him until it was about four in the afternoon. Jesus' humanity-affirming invitation to talk, it led to an invitation to spend time together and to foster a relationship. And it's that relationship that begins to lead to change and transformation in the lives of these newly minted followers of Jesus. Because it's always a relationship that changes, that changes us. Relationships are the thing that fosters transformation. When... You've got some goals, you want to get in shape, then the way to do that is to find a workout buddy. You want to learn a foreign language? I mean, good luck if you're just like sitting there by yourself with your Duolingo. But if you really want to learn a language, get some friends, get in a group. You want to change your mind about politics or economics or who's the best Avenger of them all? Find a book club, go to some Comic-Cons. Relationships, because relationships are the things that change us. We are shaped by relationships of invitation. Jesus says these, to these early disciples, come, come and see. Come with me. Tra travel a bit with me. Come closer to me, and let's continue this conversation. Let's further the relationship and be changed. Now, it's not all at once, but it's, but it's little by little. Keep taking the first step. And I will say this, by the way. It doesn't take years of a relationship to be changed or to be transformed. It can actually be moments. Um, a few years ago, I think about three years ago, um, I met a new friend. His name, was, his name is Stephen Camden. Um, he goes actually uh, by the moniker as an artist of Polar Bear. 
Um, I, I met Polar Bear. He was do, he's an artist. He's a, a writer. He was a spoken word champion in um, the UK a number of years ago. And he was coming to uh, do a show at the Kennedy Center. And <coughs> Lisa and I were members of the Kennedy Center, so we get these uh, brochures. They send it, and I sort of go through them, and I try and find what are some kid-friendly ones that I can take the kids to because, you know, like they would, they're not just going to pick, hey, Dad, uh, i got a free afternoon. Let's go to the Kennedy Center. Like that's just not sort of in their 14-year-old wheelhouse yet. But I'm like, well, let me find one that they can do. And I see some guy that I've never, you know, I don't know who this cat is, but he's advertised. He's doing a young adult thing. So I'm like, that's great. I see that he's going to be in town for a week. So I'm like, I don't want to just show up. Like, I can't just buy a ticket and go. So I'm, you know, I mean, I'm doing what y'all, I start Google, who is this guy? And as you start seeing his YouTubes of his spoken word, I'm like, dude, this guy is a pretty interesting guy. And I've done something that I've never done before. I don't know that I've done it since. Started following him on Twitter. <laughs> then I hit him up on Twitter. Hey, polar bear. So you're coming to DC. And then, okay, I'm going to be honest. I, I, so what I said was, hey, I'm a part of a group of storytellers. Not untrue, <laughs> but when I said that to Polar Bear, I think he had something in his mind that wasn't what the truth was here on the ground. What I meant was, I know some people that tell stories. I'd been a part of like a storytelling event with, with JR and some other folks in town. And um, so, you know, we, we had a loose network of storytellers. I said, Polar Bear, would you like to come to D.C.? We can grab dinner with some of our storytelling group. He hits me back on Twitter, says, I would love to. Polar Bear shows up. We have a dinner at, uh, at Busboys and Poets. Some of us that were there, we start talking about stories, and he just elicits stories out of us. We say, well, I'm working on this little short story. He says, tell me about the setting. Where is it? Yeah, well, how do you feel about that place? What color is it? And he just, and all of us were like, we left that evening with Polar Bear thinking, we, we're about to win the Pulitzer. Like, like, <laughs> like it's somewhere, us, we have, and I learned things about people that were writing like fantasy stories. I was like, I never knew that about you, Justin Henry. Because he just el elicited this. Somewhere along the line, he told us that his grandmother was originally from Jamaica, and he was here for a week, and he was just like, he just missed like having plantains. And I said, well, Lisa's here, she's, you know, her family's from Cuba originally, like, she's cooking plantains, like, that's like once a week for us, would you like to come over and have dinner with us? He would like, and so now at this point, not only have I reached out to a stranger on Twitter, now I've invited a stranger to my house to have dinner, and it just sort of cajoled my wife into cooking plantains for a, some guy named Polar Bear, and he's like, I would love to do that, and I'm like, perfect, great, me and the kid, so Polar Bear comes over, we have dinner, he hangs out for like hours, and we, we talk stories, and you know, he, his kids like comic books, we, my kids are like, hey, I've got comic books here, just take mine, take them back to your kids, like, we've just like fallen in love with this guy, we go, we see his show, we go have lunch with him the next day, he, he gives my kids like soccer, like he brings gifts to us, he leaves, at the end of his time in D.C., he leaves and he sends, I don't know how I knew this, like he sent our family dinner on the day that he was leaving. He sent us Chinese food. I think he may have asked the kids in passing, hey, what's your favorite like fast food place? And they were like, oh, we like Chinese takeout, which I don't think that's true, but it's just what they said. <laughs> and so like a delivery of massive quantities of Chinese food showed up at our house one random Thursday. And we're like, we didn't order this. So like, I don't know. And we're like, where did this, where did this? And we're like, Polar Bear sent it. During one of, the, one of our conversations, Polar Bear, um, he, um, I had a, a book of his. He, he writes young adult uh, books, and you can, you know, if you're looking for one, here's one. 
But, but he wrote inside of it, we were talking about the, the creative process and, and of writing stories and um, how there's always this moment in the creative process. It happens to me every time I'm writing a sermon, it happens to me every time I'm writing a blog post or doing anything. You just sort of get into it and you're like, I am completely lost. And this is an absolutely terrible idea. And I remember, him, I remember Steve telling me, that's, that's the chaos and you have to go through the chaos to get to the other side in the creative venture. And, and he signed this book. He said, Matthew, chaos is a part of it, of Stephen. There is not a week that I preach that I don't think about polar bear, that I don't think chaos is a part of it. We still keep up. He still emails back and forth. He recently posted on Instagram a piece of art that Annalise gave him three years ago just to say, yeah, missing you guys, to his kajillion Instagram followers. And they're like, what is that? We're shaped and changed by relationships. That's why Jesus says, I have a relationship with me because it's ever and only a relationship that changes us. Jesus initiates the conversation and he opens the door for relationship with the disciples on the road. And as they walk with him, as they stay with him, as they talk with him, they are shaped by him. And their response is to then turn to others and take those same steps that they have taken. Verse 39, come, Jesus replied, come and you'll see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. And it was about four in the afternoon. Verse 40, Andrew, Simon Peter's, Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who... Uh, had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to go and find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah. That is the Christ, the rescuing one. After spending time with Jesus, after spending time listening and talking and learning and being loved by Jesus, the scriptures say that the first thing that Andrew did was to go and tell someone. That he, that, he, that he went to his brother and he said, I have found the one that can save us, who can, who can rescue. He tells his brother the same thing that Jesus told him. Come and see. Come and, come and look. The invitation of God, it, it, it must actually go through us, not just come to us. This, uh, the call is to live invitational lives and to keep in keeping with the invitational life of Jesus. And that means inviting others to come and see, to come into the conversation, to take another step, just one more step with Jesus, to see and to be seen by him, to hear and to be heard by the one who knows us best and loves us most. Um, there was a woman that came to Christ City a few years back, and um, she had found our church, uh, her um, her sister had actually found our church online. She just lived in California and um, knew some of the struggles that this young woman, I'll, I'll, I'll call her Sally, that Sally had. and said, you should, you should go and you know, find your way to this church. Sally shows up on a Sunday. She you know, just walks in quite you know, courageously, timidly, comes in, sits kind of towards the back. We begin worship, and almost immediately she bursts into tears. She gets up, and she runs out. I see her run out. And I tell um, Dorothy Buckner, who's uh, one of our prayer team leaders at the time, I tell Dorothy, I said, Dorothy, somebody just ran out. She's a little um, emotional. When she comes back in, maybe you can um, come alongside of her, pray with her, see, see what she needs. Uh, Dorothy intercepts her. She comes back in. She says, I, I, you know, is everything okay? Is there something you doing okay? What can I, 
you know, my name's Dorothy. I'm here to, I'm on the prayer team. And um, she just says, I've never, I've just never seen that before. I've just never seen people just kind of worshiping and praying. Like, whatever that was, I've, I've never seen it. And it's, there's just something about it. Now, let me pause for a minute. Had it been me, I would have said, yeah, it's pretty awesome, right? Let me pray for you in this moment. Dorothy had much better wisdom than I did. And she says, you know what I want you to do? Let's just go in together. I want you to sit through it. I want you to experience it. I'll, I'll, I'll be with you. And then afterwards, we'll pray. And just let, the, just let the Spirit of God wash over her. So she sat through the service. She experienced the the worship and the love of God and the community of the saints. And later that week, she's with Lisa and I in the office, and, and she's saying, I just feel, I feel bound up. And she said, and I feel lost. And as she began talking and sharing her story, we said, well, you know, guess what? One of the things that Jesus describes himself as is he's the one that frees those that are bound. And the other thing that Jesus does is that he finds those that are lost. It sounds to us like Jesus is freeing you and he's finding you. Because someone said, come and see. Come and see the thing that I've found. Tyler was led to the Lord and she was baptized here. She's since moved away to California but continues to follow Jesus. Because someone said, come, come and see. You see, the invitation that, that came to us from Christ must go through us to others. It's the first thing that Andrew did. And the ultimate aim, though, in all of this, in taking one step, one step, one step with Christ, is that there is new life in him, that there is a new start in Jesus. It, it doesn't always happen all at once, but accumulation of small steps, of starting where you are, of lingering as long as you need, wherever it is that you are. There's no need to rush. There's no judgment. There's an ongoing invitation for you. Verse 42, and he, Andrew, he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, you're Simon, son of John. I know you. I know you. You'll be called Cephas. He gives him a, he gives him a new name, which is an indication in the Bible that, he, that he's giving a new life, a new start, a, a renewed life. Andrew brings his brother and Jesus gives Simon a new name of Peter gives him a new direction and a new purpose and an invitation to life with Jesus, ordered around Jesus. And this is the invitation to us as well, an invitation to a way of living that is full of life, life that holds the promise of healing and love, a relationship with Christ that helps us make sense of the world and sustains us even in the tempest. A new life. But it starts with an invitation. It starts with a, with a conversation, with a relationship, with invitations that were extended to us that we then extend to others. One step, the next step, one invitation, and then another. And that's what this season is for us. And this morning, my, my hope is that all of us will just consider what is the first next step what is the first next invitation that Jesus is extending to us to order our lives around his life and step towards that, to linger in that place? Called by God, received by God, loved by God.
Let me pray for us. you would that you would come and that you would that you would move that you would minister to us God spirit and in, in, in whatever ways that you've been uh, that you've been moving in the lives of these friends that are here for those that 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 oh, goodness Lord they took the first step of just of just of just showing up Lord that's an act of courage some days Spirit, I pray that they would sense your affirmation of that, your honoring of that. Spirit, I pray that, um, that there are those here that, that, the, that the week that they've had, the, the, the world that they've had to occupy, the space that they've been in, it, is, it, is, it has been dehumanizing. It has been unaffirming of their humanity and who they are. And Spirit, I pray that you that you would remind them of truth. That they are loved. That they are embraced. That they are sought after. That they are wanted. That they're, that they're your, your daughters and your sons. They're, they're your princes and princesses. Spirit, I pray that that you, would, that you would comfort in this moment. I also pray, Spirit, that you would convict, that you would show us what, what's the first next step for us to say yes to you, to, to your invitation to follow you. And maybe we've never have said yes to you and have never nailed a stake in the ground and said, you know, I don't, I don't have all the answers, but I have enough of them to make an informed decision to say yes to Jesus. That's my first step. Don't know what, don't know, I don't know what the end is, but I know what the trajectory is, and so I'm going to move in that direction. Spirit, give them the courage to take the steps in that conviction. Are others of us, God, we've been following you for a bit, but there's still other areas of our lives that have yet to be surrendered. There's still things that we're holding on to that we're uncertain of. We're uncertain of even what it would look like to surrender those things to you. We don't have to know the destination, but we can know the trajectory. And so we want to say yes. We want to take the first next step. God, give us the courage to move forward in that conviction. So Spirit, do your work. Whatever ways you need to comfort or convict us, do that in our lives. Help us to continue to say yes to you. In Jesus' name.